Hello, beautiful listeners, and thank you for tuning in to Writing Away to Wellness, a podcast produced by Girls Right Now and hosted by me, Sally Familia. Writing Away to Wellness is a podcast where Girls Right Now community members of all ages, racial and cultural backgrounds, careers, and crafts engage in holistic conversations about wellness in relation to the arts of writing. From avid journalers to authors committed to passing down the tools they have learned to survive the silly world, Writing Away to Wellness is the bridge that leads us to gentle hearts and creative minds. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Writing Our Way to Wellness, hosted by Girls Right Now. My name is Sally Familia, host and producer of the podcast, and today I am joined by Danielle White, Director of Ambassador Outreach at the Yellow Tulip Project. In this episode, we'll be talking about suicide awareness and prevention. I'd like to start this episode by sharing a blackout poem I wrote using an article titled, Suicide Rates Among U.S. Adolescents Doubled in 10 Years, published this past May. The title of the poem, taken from a line of the article, is I think there's something very toxic going on in American society. I think there's something very toxic going on in American society. Note that the economic downturn and housing crisis is rough on families. Parents are under strain. Kids feel it too. Rapidly rising tensions open hostility. Kids sense the future is not bright. It's both kids to the bad side. The past amplifies this message. The world is a terrible place, said the patterns. Suicide, big cities, firearms, death. Death versus the heart, the problem. Researchers found that young teen suicide rates spiked. The same pattern, the pressure. They hear the message, they need to have a good life. The past. That stressor. We tend to be a society that lets kids paint grim pictures of suicide remains. Intervene. Look out for a friend. Spend time with them. They can talk to you. Let them know that you're listening. All right. Thank you all for listening. And thank you, Danielle, for being here with us. I appreciate you so much for joining us and for granting us your time and energy. Uh, and I want to invite you to introduce yourself uh, to our listeners and tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, the Yellow Tula Project, and what you do there, please. Absolutely. The Yellow Tula Project is a youth organization focused on normalizing conversations around mental health, smashing the stigma, and spreading hope. I've been with the Yellow Tula Project since 2018, so that is five years now. I joined the Yellow Tula Project in my first year of high school, where I was positioned at a point in my life where so many of my friends were struggling with their mental health. I had a whole routine at that point of how I would take care of my community. I'd every night leave my phone on the highest ringer it could go. I'd send my friends and loved ones these long paragraph messages about how much I loved them in hopes that if they were feeling down, that would be their anchor. And it was a constant factor of my life of really worrying and fearing that I was going to lose a friend to suicide. And I was really feeling driven to take further action. I wanted to go away from the individual actions I could take and towards a larger collective level. Mm -hmm. So Julia Hansen, our founder, had happened to speak at my high school. And as I sat in the bleachers, every word that she had said was going directly to my heart of there is an epidemic, there is a crisis, just like what was noting in the poem you just shared, 
and I wanted to do something about it. So I joined the Yellow Cooler Project as an ambassador. I attended the first event and I brought my camera with me. I said, I'm happy to take photos. I just want to help out. So I came, I took my photos, and then I shared that I'd be happy to share my photos. And if they needed anyone to do any work, I'd be more than happy to be that someone. And the rest is truly history. Mm-hmm. I've worked in multiple positions with the Yellow Cooler Project, but I've really found my true passion in working as the director of outreach. I have the beautiful opportunity to connect with every single ambassador we get, all almost 600 of them. And that brings me so much joy whenever an email is in my inbox or I'm on a Zoom call one-on-one chatting and really connecting with someone on how they can take their individual actions to create a better world. And outside of the Yellow Tulip Project, I'm a junior at George Washington University. My major is international affairs with a concentration in conflict resolution and a minor in public health. And I am someone who's incredibly family-oriented and people-oriented. I'm the biggest definition of a people person. So (laughs) it feels like I really hit my stride and found where I'm supposed to be as it relates to the work that I do. Wow, you are fantastic. Wow, thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. I am so touched by your willingness to be there for your community and just for humanity overall and your ability to listen to what your soul wants and what you and to see and to just look around the world and see that there's something that has to be done and to feel so brave enough to be to listen to that call because it, clearly this work is calling you and and working towards the betterment of society and humanity overall is something that's clearly meant for you so I'm so glad that you you found this community and you found the yellow tula project and that as you said you were able to hit your stride and just find a place for yourself where you can feel like you're doing something that matters because you really are doing something that matters so Again, thank you for being here and thank you for sharing all of that with us. So I wanted to know, uh, what are some of the emotional labors that you perform in your career and the strategies you use to navigate some of those? I would say, and I've done a lot of reflection on what does my work ask of me? And when I'm working with our ambassadors in their ambassador applications, there are some applications that are much more surface levels that just share their passion about mental health advocacy and that's why they want to join. And other applications are truly these really raw and intimate and energy-filled pieces of people sharing about loss and hurt and pain. And I would say that's definitely the biggest emotional labor of the work that I do, where it's really that heaviness of, wow, in a casual email setting, I'm reading so intimately and so deeply about someone's life, about the struggles they've faced, about the people they've lost, about the hurt they've experienced. And I think navigating that emotional labor has really been checking in with myself, holding myself and allowing myself to pause with these letters where it's easy in the workflow to open an email, respond to it, open the next email, respond to the next one. But really giving myself the moment and the space and the time after reading a heavier email of somebody's ambassador application and sitting with it and allowing myself to feel their pain for a moment 
and to let it flow through my body and then to release it in the ways that I may, whether it's taking a stretch or just like doing some deep breaths and then closing my eyes or just resting my head for a moment. I found that navigating that emotional labor really just looks like the self-care aspect of my job. Because if I were to just read those letters and then move on without processing, I think that's when the burnout and the heaviness would start. So to take care of myself after reading those beautifully intimate letters really just looks like taking a moment to pause and acknowledge that someone poured their heart out for this. And it is my job and my responsibility to hold that energy. And in my reply and response, really curate my language in a way that's thoughtful and caring and acknowledges that they put their heart out for me and I am going to hold it and love on it. Yeah, I thank you. I, I love I you, the way you said curate uh, my language really stuck with me. You know, as a writer, I'm just that's that's I'm like, yeah, um, to be able to sit with that and really understand that words matter and they carry weight and they carry energy and you want to make sure that when you're communicating you're being you know you're, you're communicating with an open heart an open mind and being compassionate and understanding that we all have our own individual stories um and it's a gift that you even got to you know hear a part of it from someone that they felt confident comfortable enough to even share that with you so i Again, it speaks a lot to who you are as well, that people feel so comfortable sharing that and sharing parts of themselves like that. So I I appreciate you sharing also the way that you navigate them because it's really important to talk about how you, how you tend to yourself in moments like that when you have um, a job that takes a lot of emotional labor. So I, I'm glad to hear that you do have things in place that help you navigate those. Uh, so what is something that you learned uh, and take with you in your time advocating for suicide awareness that you'd like to share with us? I think one of my biggest learnings as it relates to suicide awareness advocacy is it's truly about the little moments. Like it is also about the bigger grandiose like legislation that needs to be passed, education programs and curriculums that need to be built. And it is really about those like smaller minuscule moments that have an incredible impact. One of the Yellow Tula Project programmings we have is titled The Ripple That Creates the Wave. And I think of that as it relates to what does it mean to advocate for suicide awareness and suicide prevention? It means the little moments of spreading hope and making sure people feel seen and heard and loved by their communities, making sure people know that it's okay to not be okay and that they know where to turn when they're feeling that energetic low. And those small, small, small moments of the smile, the thank you, the love you, the moments that really affirm the humanity of the people around me, I think that's what suicide advocacy looks like on a daily basis, where it looks like the thoughtful communication, it looks like the listening ear, it looks like the creating spaces for people to bring their full authentic self and suicide advocacy and awareness at first, at the very beginning of my journey, felt so daunting of like, this is a big deal. How am I meant to save and protect and take care of people's lives? And how I do that is by existing, is by being myself and bringing that kindness and love and energy and compassion. And I think that's one of my biggest takeaways I've ever had from doing this kind of work of just really realizing that spreading hope and smashing the stigma starts with my 
tiniest daily actions of just asking my friends, how are you genuinely and listening to the full story and creating those moments in my life to show that somebody who feels like they have no one has someone in me. And that has been one of my largest learnings I've taken away from doing suicide advocacy work. Thank you for saying that because it really is that simple. It really is that simple. You wake up that day and you choose love. <laughs> you wake exactly. up that day and you choose love and you navigate the world with that in mind. You just want to make sure that you're engaging with people and connecting with them with always love and kindness in mind. That is suicide prevention. It's every step, it's every single day. So thank you for really just putting it in those, it really is that simple. Um, and it's beautiful that you take that with you. And thank you for sharing that with us and our listeners, because I know that people will take that with them as well, that it's, it's every day. It's the kindness that you share with others every single day. So I know that before this, uh, I learned that you're a poet and I bet that you're a phenomenal poet. Um, so how do you use your poetry and your advocacy? My poetry shows up in my advocacy every time I write a word, every time that I'm speaking, sharing, like I have truly reconceptualized how I see my poetry because of the work I do, where when I'm replying to an ambassador's application, I'm imagining it as poetry. I'm thinking about how can I utilize the words that I'm crafting in this email to make someone feel that sense of, wow, I have found my community. And my poetry shifted from my more traditional, like, I'm going to write in my journal and pick something that I want to write on and write to that topic, to that point. I've truly found this art of this go with the flow style poetry of I'm going to take and hold what my ambassadors give to me and I am going to craft the words that I think speak directly to them and when whether I'm at a speaking opportunity I'm thinking of my speeches as long-form poems I'm thinking of them as as moments to share really poetic and empowering and lasting phrases quotes words sentences that leave someone with a message that they can't forget. So I've truly found that my poetry has evolved with the work that I do, where it's no longer just like locked up in my journal only for my eyes to see. Now it is every email reply I send off, every blog post I make for our website, every speech I give for a community, every presentation I make is a form of poetry to me of how can I create something beautiful, something long lasting, something where when someone leaves that presentation, leaves that webinar, leaves that enrichment session, they feel like they have these words in their mind of, wow, I feel hopeful, I feel inspired. And now they have a new favorite quote that they can ripple through their community to create a wave of empowerment and love and joy and light. Yeah, wow. I love that so much. I love the way that you navigate the work that you do and the way that you bring in something so so personal, uh, like poetry, into that work, and I I really do appreciate the way that you view your your day to day work as poetry. I think that's really phenomenal. So thank you for sharing that perspective. Uh, so talking about hope, talking about action and advocacy, I know that 
uh, this year's suicide prevention theme is creating hope through action. Uh, I would like to know what does that mean to you? Creating hope through action means to me a better understanding of truly what hope is. Like hope is to me a light. It is a light in the darkness. It is the umbrella on a rainy day. It is the warm blanket after a cold, cold, cold night. And hope becomes less abstract and more concrete when you take a moment to realize what actions can inspire hope. If hope is warmth, the actions that can inspire that is the smile to a stranger, is the how are you doing with a genuine intention behind it. It's the moments of pure listening, of true support. Like that is hope. And those actions proliferate, those actions support that hope spreading process. So I think creating hope through action has truly been a matter of redefining hope as not this abstract concept, but as a concept to fully embody something that's concrete. And one of my favorite quotes of all time that I've ever heard was, you cannot have what you are not willing to become. And if you want to have hope, become it. If you want to have a world with more hope, be hope. And that has truly guided me when it comes to what actions do I want to take to spread hope. If I want to spread hope and I believe I am hope, my kindness, my love, my listening, my gratitude is what's going to create hope. And those are the actions that I'm going to continue to do to continue to create hope. Wow. And listen, I know that, that you you are the embodiment of hope because I feel it in the energy in this conversation alone. Like I feel it um, radiating through you uh, and it's a gift. So again, thank you because this conversation <laughs> is truly, it's so healing and I hope that it feels that way to our listeners as well because you really are embodying what it means to be a pure soul honestly <laughs> you need to get that deep but i do mean that i do mean it in the work that you do the way that you communicate um just the wisdom that you're sharing with us overall yeah you you can't see hope you can't Im- imagine hope if you you don't if you're not if you don't embody it if you don't trust it if you're not it fully you need to stand in that power and in that trust and in that hope and in that faith um and as you said, that's how it ripples outwards and how that's how it, it brings other people into your light. Uh, and so, yeah, I appreciate the way that you, you've been putting that, all those words together, especially when it comes to hope. And thank you for continuing to bring hope into this conversation, because that truly is uh, back to this conversation about suicide awareness and suicide pre- prevention. The prevention really does come with that hope, with that light, with that faith that you can make a difference, even if it's one person. Because once you touch one person, then it just goes outward. You did something, right? People think exactly. people think that it, it that one step is nothing. That oh, me as one person, I can't change anything. But you, you truly can. You right. truly can. Individuals are so powerful, and you're clearly showing that. So thank you. So I wanted to speak a little bit about uh, the suicide rate increase. I read that in the United States, in the last 10 years, the rate has increased by 16%. So do you feel like the current suicide prevention efforts have been unsuccessful? And so why? 
I think current suicide prevention efforts could be more successful, much, much, much more successful if they were to lean into empowering individuals to do the suicide prevention work. I think a lot of times in the field of suicide prevention, there is this very, what word would I want to utilize? Like this very skeleton in the closet or looming kind of phrasing of like, if someone needs help, direct them to help but no one is defining like what help is and therefore people can't empower themselves to take the concrete actions to prevent suicide. Where if we are not arming people with the knowledge of here's how to notice the signs of suicidal ideation, here's how to properly check in step A, B, C, I don't think we'll be able to truly succeed in suicide prevention because if the average person doesn't know what to do when they hear their friends say that they're thinking of suicide, we're not going to make forward progress. The average person should feel well equipped to know not only the signs of suicide, but also how to respond and how to react. I think if we were to empower young people, if we were to empower older community members to hear the phrases of suicidal ideation, to hear the warning signs of suicide, I think we'd see so much more suicide prevention because it is the simple shifts in noticing someone's change in demeanor. Like noticing that your very, very bubbly best friend is still as bubbly, but they're making a lot more jokes about harming themselves and knowing how to intervene and how to address that head on. I think we'd be able to make leaps and bounds and strides of progress in suicide prevention if the work was far more table tailored to direct advocacy within individuals. Like let a high school student know what to do when their friend texts them that they just can't do this anymore. Like let a high school student know how to say, hey, it sounds like it might feel like life is really feeling heavy for you right now. Are you thinking of suicide? Like empower people to be able to have those really uncomfortable, hard conversations in order to prevent suicide. I think, again, when we make help as this like distinct figure of like, oh, you just encourage someone to get help, we won't be able to fully address the suicide epidemic because folks don't actually know what they need to be doing. So if we give people the language, the vocabulary, the foresight to see the signs, I think we'd be able to make a tangible dent in the continually increasing suicide rate because people would be able to say, wait, I know what to do here. Let me empower myself to do it and potentially save someone's life. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's phenomenal education and back to the power of the individual, um, giving people the tools that they need to really be there for, as you said, their friends, uh, the people that surround them so that they're able really be there be there for them properly and they don't feel stuck and and just afraid to even engage in a conversation like that um because that is very powerful to feel like you're in a space like that and have a friend be so open and willing to just have a conversation and that way you feel less afraid that you feel this way you know you feel more comfortable and more open to share so i really appreciate that answer thank you so speaking about uh, the individual and giving them the tools they need to offer advice. Uh, well, less ab about advice, but just support in general. 
I would like to ask you, how would you advise someone um, who feels unsure about asking for help? I would advise someone who feels unsure about asking for help to truly ask themselves what is one tangible action that would make them feel just 1% better. I think when it comes to asking for help, there might be the feeling of you have to know exactly what you want, exactly what you need to fix yourself completely. And asking for help truly looks like, again, I am seeing a theme in our conversation about the little things of asking for help can look like if you are feeling like your mental health is at an all-time low, what is one thing you can do that can make you feel 1% better? Maybe that's sending one email to one teacher saying that, hey, I need a little more time on this assignment, or I really need to sit down and have a meeting with you so that we can talk about a plan for doing my homework while my mental health is really struggling. Finding 1% of what can make you feel 1% better is the first thing you can do to help yourself, where maybe it's, again, the question of maybe help looks like taking one hour to research how to find a therapist, how to get connected with a therapist, or it looks like making an appointment with a, your primary care physician, a doctor if you have one, and saying one time that you'd like some mental health support. I think the first steps to getting help doesn't mean that you'll have to fix everything in one big scoop. It can really mean the little moments of just feeling 1% better. Because if you feel 1% better the next day, and then another 1% the next day, and another 1% the next day, eventually you'll get to a percentage that feels okay. And then you can do more of the in-depth work of, okay, how do I create healthy habits that make my mental health feel good, that make me feel happy? But starting from the point of truly needing help, all I can advise is taking a moment to find that 1%. Maybe it's going to bed one hour earlier, taking one thing off your to-do list. One thing at a time is truly like the pathway towards getting comprehensive help that brings you back to 100%. Yeah, I'm very firm on like baby steps. I say this all the time for everything. Baby steps, day by day, it really, I know that at this point, this phrase is just like, tired but it it really does get better because every day every effort every energy you put into getting better it'll get better without you one day you'll wake up and and you'll realize oh my goodness I don't feel that bad anymore and that's a really great great feeling when you don't even realize that you did not realize that you felt so much better It's, it's a really beautiful moment and I I do hope that for listeners that are tuning in and those that connect with the Yellow Tula project and those that connect with you as an individual, uh, continue to hear that, that it really is just step by step. Um, it starts with the understanding that you need help and then you go from there and I guess further from there. Exactly. Uh, and to the point you made of truly it's a matter of like one day you'll wake up and realize how much better you feel. I couldn't amplify that more. Like, Truly, in my own mental health experiences, and it's something I thought of quite literally last night, that the heaviness that comes with struggling with your mental health 
in the midst of it, it's very, very hard to see the progress, the baby steps that have been taken. But it truly is a feeling of one morning, you wake up, and you just begin to notice this lightness in your body, this idea of like, going from feeling so heavy all the time to feeling just a little bit lighter. Like that is one of the best experiences on this planet of truly having that moment where it's like, whoa, I feel lighter. Like that is a moment where it feels so, 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 so good. I Yeah, I completely agree. As you can see, I'm just cheesing because it really, those moments truly are, um, the most validating for the work that you've done and the steps that you've taken for yourself to really sit there and be like, wow, I really, I put in all this work, all this energy, but it paid off. Like, and it paid off because it was a labor of love because you wouldn't be working on your mental health. You wouldn't be taking all these steps if you did not love yourself. And I think that's something that people don't realize that those steps that you take, that is already an act of love. That's a labor of love. And that in itself already shows you that you care about yourself enough to heal. That's a huge step. That's already that's already the first step and one of the biggest steps to take. So it just it really does get better from there. It really does. And I'm glad that we're emphasizing that in this conversation. Beautifully said. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, I know you spoke a little bit about this earlier, about the ways that you tend to yourself uh, in with your the emotional labors that you have in your job. But I just wanted to hear a little bit more about that. How do you tend to your spirit when you're just feeling emotionally heavy in and outside of work? I really love the language you use of tending to the spirit because I am a big fan of not only self-care, but soul care and taking that time to really connect with like the essence of your being and asking what you need. I outside of work and inside of work, take time when I'm feeling an energetic low or just feeling like I need to recharge of quite literally sitting with myself. I always picture it in my mind of like sitting at a dining room table with Danielle and asking her like, what do you need right now? What do you want? What's on your mind? What can we do together? What can I do to feel good? And whether I do it also physically looking in a mirror and asking like, what do you need has been one of the biggest ways I've done soul care as I've developed my soul care practice of asking her, what do you need? And maybe it's, oh, I need to go to bed early or I need to just take some time to laugh and giggle with my friends to move my body or maybe it looks like yoga but I've taken a lot of time to ask in the same way I would ask a friend if they shared they were struggling, like, what do you need? And so doing soul care work has really been a acknowledging the essence of my being, like what makes Danielle Danielle and connecting with that, working with that, serving that, honoring that, all of the above and the tangible action items I take when it comes to self-care, the really like holistic, really tangible stuff looks like going to do my favorite yoga practice with my favorite instructor, like doing my yoga practice, sitting down, opening my journal, just looking at the pages, taking moments to reflect and ask myself, what do I need? What do I want to do? 
okay, it's feeling like I need to write. I have some things I want to write on. I want to like bring in my spirituality. I want to take a moment to put pen to paper. And my self-care practices really center on that like dialogue I have with myself of what does Danielle need and how can I give it to her? That's beautiful. That's so phenomenal. And I love the the imagery of you sitting like at a dining um, table, just sitting in front of uh, Danielle and just looking at her. And and, because I think about that a lot. I think about um, myself outside of myself, as well as my inner child, my inner teen. Um, And I've been spending a lot of time with my current self, but I've never put this current version of myself outside of me. I've never actually sat down in front of them and had a conversation. Uh, so I, I definitely want to do that because I know I've done it with other versions of myself. And I, I do think that I'm in a space where this current version of myself needs a conversation, needs to, a little chat, a little TLC. So I appreciate you sharing that. Um, and I think this is a really great place to stop and just, again, thank you for this conversation. I love um, ending with the com- with the topic of just how you tend to yourself, how you tend to your spirit and your practices. So I want to, again, thank you for your time, your energy and your wisdom today. Uh, I want to thank the Yellow Tula Project for their continued support. Uh, and then just, I want to thank our listeners for tuning into another episode of us. And I'm really excited for the next one and we'll connect soon. Thank you. Thank you. I want to take another moment of gratitude for Danielle White and her healing words about the miracle of kindness, the value of community, and the power of the individual. Thank you again for joining us for another episode of Writing Away to Wellness, a podcast published bi-weekly on Thursdays. Follow along as we foster spaces where emotions are seen with an open heart and words received with reverence. Make sure to never miss an episode by subscribing to the Girls Right Now Substack at girlsrightnowmedia.org and catch us wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is a production of Girls Right Now. It was edited and recorded by me, Sally Familia, and produced by me with the support of Vani Kura and Catherine Dustin. Thank you always for your time and energy, and remember that baby steps are still steps.